0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parshat Chayesara this morning, the first part of Chayesara, chapter 23 of the book of Genesis. We are in the aftermath, if you will, of the Akedah. So we're in the aftermath of the binding of Isaac. Um, for many of us, that story you know, is paradigmatic of Rosh Hashanah and of a test of faith. Um, in the last few years of my life, um, I've really focused, um, partly through um, Aviva Zornberg and her looking at, at that story, I, I'm much more focused on Isaac um, after the Akedah. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's not so much about Abraham; it, it's about Isaac and Sarah. So that's partly what we're going to talk about this morning. Abraham's, you know, kind of story reaches its pinnacle with the Akedah. That's kind of the the, the big end of kind of his faith narrative. There's huge consequences to Abraham's. Quote unquote passing of the test Right so for the rabbis This is the paradigmatic act of faith This is Abraham Passing God's test uh, And is a moment of Great achievement you know for Avraham For many of us it Is a very disturbing Text it remains A terribly disturbing Text Why he paid too much For the cake no, no, no the, the Akedah, down, the, the Akedah, binding Akedah. of Isaac. Uh-huh. So the uh-huh. being willing to sacrifice his son, uh-huh. raising a knife uh-huh. with his son tied to the altar. W- you know, what does that mean for Isaac? What does that mean? That your father is ready to slit your throat because of his understanding of what God calls him to do. So that's not our story for today, the the Isaac narrative. Um, but, But it is for the rabbis... Sarah's story today so we are dealing with the aftermath of the Akedah in two ways one is um, the rabbinic midrashic tradition about Sarah and how the Akedah impacts Sarah and the other is that because this was kind of the pinnacle of Abraham's faith journey if you will um, what we're dealing with then now is the Kind of cl- the, the end of the story. The end of the story are these details, not that they're insignificant, but they're details about what now, right? How, how to close that story of Abraham and shift to the next generation, to Isaac. Um, and so two concerns remain after the Akedah. One Is with mortality, like how does one deal with the fact that if you're really going to be here in the land of Canaan, people are going to die and need, you're going to need to deal with that. Um, And the other is posterity. You know, like how do you deal with making sure your line is going to go on? Avraham, who's been told he's going to be father of a great nation. He's got one son who is as yet unmarried. So as Avraham comes you know, out of the Akedah, comes out of that kind of the apex of his faith journey, we get the kind of last parts of what needs to happen, which is to deal with the mortality of the family and the continuation of the family. Both of those are addressed in our Parsha. How, that is really what our Parsha is about. It's the epilogue, if you will, to the Akedah.
2: How, before that, though, how, were, how did they deal with death? They just buried people where they died?
1: That is traditionally what you do. You bury someone where you die. Because you live... Where you live, you die, and you bury your beloved. hes He is not... A, he's a resident alien in Canaan. Canaan. So he's not from Canaan. He's not a Canaanite.
2: Right, but why wouldn't they think they would just do the same thing? When people die in Canaan, they're going to bury them there. Because you have
1: to own the land. So we're going to go there. We're going, we're going to see that story. But every Jewish community, the first... Two things that were established any time Jews moved anywhere were what? Mikvah and cemetery. <laughs> Mikveh and cemetery. And there's actually three things. Mikvah, cemetery, and?
2: synagogue.
0: No? Food. <laughs>
1: <Vocal> delicatessen.
2: <laughs> Close. <laughs> so, uh, a
1: shaychet.
3: You need a shaychet.
1: So you needed... A cemetery. You needed a mikvah, and you needed a ritual slaughterer so that you could eat meat.
4: And there was a fourth. Yeah. That came up in modern times, and that was like a Jewish family service.
1: So you know that's a very late innovation, because otherwise Jews, you know, just kind of helped Jews. You know, if they were starting a community, they helped each other. so those three things have always been necessary. So some of the older thing, you don't need a synagogue. You can take a cheder. You can take any room and study Torah and then daven. You you do not need a synagogue. You can use somebody's living room to study Torah.
0: It was fairly common in uh, New York in the early days. They called it a shtiebel, which means a small house, but it's a room in
5: somebody's home and they... Should. One week would be here, one week would be there. That's right? K- That's how K.I. started. As a shtiebel? Yeah, in different people's homes. Right.
1: So, many shtiebelach. And they um, would
2: transport the Torahs to the different
1: homes? Oh, uh, there was no Torah. You don't need a Torah. You need you don't need a Torah. You need a copy, right? We're, <laughs> and
3: we're, we're, we're not studying from a Torah. That's right.
1: Natural. That's right. And and if you wanted to have services, you, you don't need a Torah in order to daven together, to pray together as a... As a as a group as a Hevra. and even when we had a shul,
0: it was very often that somebody the the, the rabbi lived behind the the, uh, the the front room, which was the sanctuary.
1: Yeah, halavai. I should have an apartment here yeah. in AI. Um, it should only be right. <laughs> it's magnificent. So, um, so that's so when so when we read this beginning part talking about Abraham acquiring the cave in which to bury Sarah, this is not just a throwaway. Oh, right, she died and he asked. Like this is a very serious and significant part of the Abraham narrative. This has to happen for a couple of reasons, and we'll look at that as we look at the text. We're going to look at the, if you look at the end of chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 19 is the end of the story of the Akedah, right? Page
3: 103
1: in the green in the women's Torah commentary. 121 121 121. in Eitz Chaim. Chapter 22, verse 19, the very end of the Akedah. Somebody want to read verse 19 in English, please.
5: Abraham then returned to his servants, and they departed together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba.
1: What's missing? This is the end of the the binding of Isaac. What's missing here? Isaac. Isaac. (laughs) Isaac. We know, those of us who study Torah together, we know now, That if something's missing, that is an engraved invitation to the rabbis. Yes? To say, ha, there must be a reason. It doesn't say Isaac. Torah doesn't make mistakes, God forbid. Right? The Torah narrative knows they both went up the mountain together. Any ideas where the rabbis are going to go? Where would you go? Why is Isaac not mentioned here?
3: I would not go down the mountain. Hey, Dad, what do you want for lunch? You know, I would
1: be upset. I yeah. take off. Nope. Sarah's not mentioned, so
5: either. she's not there. She knew
1: oh, not there. So Isaac has just almost been slaughtered by his father on the altar, right? And it it stops with the knife raised. So um, does Isaac hear the angel? Say, Avraham, Avraham, we don't know. All he knows is he sees his father with the knife. He's tied to the... Oh, he's tied, as you would tie a sacrifice. His knife is raised. That's the image he has of his father. Before his father, instead, turns around, sees the ram. We, we have no idea how that unfolds. But you can imagine what he's going to say. Okay. Son, I've changed my mind. Like, j- even think about what what that conversation would look like. Does he help him off? Does he use the knife to cut the ropes? And then say, "Come here. We're gonna we're gonna sacrifice the ram instead." Like, whatever transpires next, one can imagine that Isaac is not coming down the mountain with his father because presumably he has just been seriously just he's been seriously traumatized so the same silence that we get for the three days that they're walking right remember it's a journey of three days to mount moriah right Mm -hmm. three days not one word recorded in torah between avraham and isaac other than the story we have at the very end of okay we got the wood right we got everything where's the animal for the (laughs) sacrifice dad don't worry, son, God will provide. Right? That, that's the only conversation we have. That's it. This, that same silence, it's bookends. It's a beautiful literary right bookending. Also on this side of the story, there is silence. There is not one word between Isaac and Abraham in this episode after, after the binding. So, so one explanation is that we only have Avraham here because Isaac's, <laughs> Isaac's just not going to hang out with him, right? He's going he's gonna to be on the mountain processing, um, calling his therapist and, you know, like doing what <laughs> he needs to do to take care of himself. Um, what's another place the rabbis might go or another tradition might go?
5: Well, Isaac could have gone back to Sarah and Sarah's not. I know Sarah's not there, but Abraham doesn't come down from the mountain and go back to his wife. Okay, Ostensibly. so.
1: Well, something. What we, 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 So they're, they're three days' journey. Right. Right? So he comes down the mountain and comes back to his servants, and they departed for Beersheba, but like, where Abraham stays.
5: But he, Sarah wasn't there. He didn't go back to his wife. We assume he did. Well, afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, after this whole thing, he didn't. It, it wasn't like, oh, he did this, and he immediately went back to Sarah. Well, we just... Right. Like, so,
1: so Sarah's not... What happens with him and Sarah is not here. But hold on. The rabbis have a reason for that. That's where we're going next. Yeah, Richard, what did you want to
0: say? Well, there's... Mid, mid, the Well, based on what... Based on your introduction, the existing Midrashic tradition would have to be sort of the rabbis' attempt to make Abraham look good. Yes. Right, but because the Midrashic tradition, if I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing, uh, some people said that Abraham sent him to Shem to study Torah. Of course, of course. You went to Yeshiva. So another view in the Midrash is Abraham sent him at night, sent him on ahead at night so that the evil eye wouldn't see him. And, so, and there's also, as part of this same Midrashic tradition, the reason why Sarah dies. Okay, wait, 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 So stop
1: there. I, so I, another interpretation that I find incredibly interesting is the Midrashic tradition that says that the reason Isaac isn't mentioned is because he actually sacrificed him. Mm. Oh, come on. So there is a tradition where, where he essentially commits the act. Which is a very interesting, right, psychological, I think, reading of the father-son dynamic. And, um, and, and in Islam, it is Ishmael, right, who's the one on the altar. So there's lots of different narratives about why Isaac isn't here. What?
2: Back up. Really?
1: Really. In
2: Islam? But then that makes yes. the angels angel sound like moves.
1: Ishmael is his oldest son. So they also have a version of this story, which they have reconstructed Which is that Ishmael is the one that he takes to Mount Moriah, which is where the whole mosque is now right is the for them the dome of the rock that mosque that spot, you know is both where Ishmael was on the altar and where Muhammad alights yes
4: That the sacrifice of the, the idol is often as a dog or as a father, we have to come to for what? Kill the infant, the, the very difficult child, and be aware of it. I think it's more of a mythical story than anything else.
1: Which is why I think there's an impulse within the mythic imagination. There's an impulse to read he's not here because he had to, the child had to be killed. For Isaac to then become the adult, mm-hmm. and ha- mythically the child died because whether whether you want to believe he actually slaughtered his son or not, and of course our tradition is that he did not. Let's be clear: our tradition is he did not. That the message of the whole story is don't do that. Um, but but the temptation to read his absence here as Abraham going through with it, I think, is a mythic is a mythic um, impulse. To say, well, of course, he, had, the child Isaac, died there because now we're going to get him starting his own family and becoming the patriarch, and for sure, whatever innocence Isaac had left, with, forget what the knife actually did, right? The fact that he was on that altar and Abraham raised the knife, already Isaac's childhood is over. In that moment, his childhood is over, right? Because innocence, trust. Naivete, boom, gone. He sees who his father is capable of being. In a way we can assume he never has. And the mythic truth of that is when we become old enough to really see who our parents can be, right, the dark shadow side of what their own vision of what needs to happen, what that means we have to sacrifice. You know, what, what will it cost us? as would, their
0: children would it be a fairly current uh, interpretation uh losing one's childhood figuratively yeah. uh isn't that sort of um 20th 21st century i think
1: it's always been the power of this story i think the story remains in our tradition because on some level we get it now are we using different psycho you know so, help me finish that word. I go back, I go back. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. But you know, are we using psychology and those terms differently? Of course. I I don't the the myth of the father and the son and killing and and or sons killing that's not new. That is that goes back as far as there have been parents and children, right? I I think the power of that is eternal in in human in human society. Linda? look at it from the
5: other
2: side, too, it's, it's a symbolic
5: of Abraham letting
1: go of his child, you know, recognizing that his child has grown up. There are absolutely infinite ways for us to talk as parents, as children, right, about what the Akedah is, which actually we should probably do some Rosh Hashanah. Maybe I'll give a sermon on it, some Rosh Hashanah. Hang on, Mickey. Um, There's infinite ways to explore that story. I want to move us to the to the Aftermath of that story, right? So so one is about Isaac Which I said we weren't going to explore which we've now been exploring and that's my fault Um, um, But the other one is as Richard alluded to is Sarah, right? So we're gonna go there now. We're gonna remember that this is the last Part of the Parsha from last week for the rabbis. It is never an accident What comes next? Right. It's never OK. New story. You know, new new scene. Always. It's related. Why is this episode immediately after that episode? Always. Because Torah is true for all time. Torah is not just about the shot, about the actual literal meaning. Torah is a vehicle through which we understand ourselves and life. Right. So there has to be more meaning than these are next to each other. Because they are, right? There has to be some other meaning. So let's go to what the rabbis see. Someone start at verse uh, t- 1 of chapter 23.
5: Sarah's lifetime, the span of Sarah's life, came to 127 years. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, now Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham proceeded to mourn for Sarah and to bewail her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead and spoke to the Hittites, saying, I am a resident alien among you. Sell me a burial site among you that I may remove my dead for burial. And the Hittites replied to Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. You are the elect of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold his burial place from you for burying your dead. Okay.
1: So... We're gonna go to this parsha called Chayei Sarah because the first words are Sarah, and they were the days of Sarah. Um, I'm sorry. The, and they were the life of Sarah because Chay is Chayei. The it's a uh, plural in that sense of. Uh, remember we talked about the the depths, mm-hmm. right? Um, Me'as a hundred years, Ve'esrim shana, And twenty years, Besheva shanim, And seven years, Shnei chayesara. These are the years of Sarah, of the life of Sarah. Okay. So immediately we get after the Akeda the description of the death of Sarah. So Bert alluded to the fact that we don't see a reunion between Avraham and Sarah at the end of our story. We just get Avraham coming down and returning with the servants to 'er Beersheba. Nothing else is said. Next thing it said is Sarah has died. So in the Midrashic tradition, it's because there's lots of ways that the rabbis go at it. There's lots of versions of the story. But the story is that, that an angel... In a lot of cases, it's the prosecuting angel, right? So a version of Satan, the prosecuting angel, comes and uh, finds a loophole through which he goes to Sarah and tells Sarah that Abraham mm-hmm. has her son on the mountain and is offering him as a burnt offering to his God. Oi, Linda Rubin says. So... <laughs> What do you think, Linda, then, the Midrashic tradition says about why Sarah's dead here? She's heartbroken. <laughs> she's heartbroken. Her her heart literally stops. Her heart breaks. The suffering of her son, right, is it, too much. And Sarah can't do it. And she's gone. I, t- I read it as some time
0: period past. Uh, you know, it's a new chapter and.
1: She's dying at 827. Reuben, you are staying at the very pshat. You are not swimming deeply today. Dive deeper. Torah is true for all time about all things. Therefore, what is the... De- of course, the pshat is sometime later, right? But but you got, we got to go deeper or what are we doing here, right? So we're going to go deeper. And for the rabbis, they talk about, you know, this, this saying that's popular that God never gives you... Too much to bear God never gives you more than you can bear And then other people say I wish God didn't trust me so much Um, But but this tradition This Madrashic tradition says That is absolutely not true This is a Madrashic tradition That says There are things That are so horrific That some folks Do not survive them The Piazichner Rabbi Wrote a very moving commentary on this the week before this text was you know the text of the Shabbat his son was killed right in the ghetto his son was murdered he then approaches the Akedah and the death of Sarah immediately following and I can't, I mean, even last night, like, I teared up just even trying to hold those two things, a person of faith and hope, a teacher, a gentle, loving, wise soul coming to this text, having watched his son murdered by, by Nazis, by, by hate, by, by the worst of what we human beings can do to each other. How, how, how does one even come to this sex? And yet, he had such an incredibly loving you know, approach to exploring that, and I think to myself, therein lies the glory. That even times where we feel like we should die, somehow, the best of humanity is that we find some way to move forward. We find some way out and and forward uh, into life and into learning and into love and into relationship and for me that remains probably one of the biggest miracles of, of Being I, created both, you know part of this natural animal kingdom uh, and and a little bit of the divine
2: In a different text that I was reading they were explaining Sarah's death is that she heard that Isaac was going to be sacrificed and then she heard that he was, wasn't sacrificed, and the juxtaposition so, so close together is what killed her. Yeah.
1: The shock. The shock. The double shock. The double <laughs> shock. He's, he's dead, it was, and then he's not dead. So, it's a, yes, it's another version of that the, that the shock can, can kill us. Sarah?
2: There's another shock. And that's recognizing who her husband
1: is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to go back to live with this guy who's ready to kill your son. I think that's a really important point. That's
4: a really important point. Because she could have lived 128.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? And and that, that broke her heart. You know, because that's, that's another take on that midrash is that she finds out what her husband is capable of. In this new religion that she's followed him from right another place that they were familiar. they went on this whole big journey because he was gonna be in relationship to this Yudhe Vavhe business. She takes it on, she goes with him, they're gonna be the founders of this new and this is what it looks like. This is what we gave up everything for? A God who could ask for this? The shock. And she's, and they've been partners. Abraham and Sarah are partners in this business. The whole tradition is very clear about that. That they, they are co-equals in this leadership of, you know, of what's not yet the Jewish people um, business. And to, to find out who your partner really is or, or, or is capable of being, the shock and grief of both of those.
2: I was just wondering, is there
4: any significance? They say she lived one hundred years, twenty years, ah, and seven years. Why do they say? Ah, lovely and close reading. A lovely
1: and close reading, because it says she lives a hundred years and twenty years and seven years. Any guesses? Oh wait, wait. Then read to me what it says after that. These were the lives. this two lives of Sarah. Well, these were the, there's another, isn't there years again? These were the 100 plus 20 plus 7 years. These are the years of Sarah's life. Before and after she got had Isaac. So the rabbis, in good close reading tradition, have to ask, why why did they just say 127 years? were the days of Sarah's life. What is all this business about 100 plus 20 plus 7? So they say, at even 100, Sarah remained as beautiful, as innocent, as happy, as hopeful, as she was at 20. Before tourists. Before infertility. Before leaving home. Before, right before all these things, we can assume at 20, she was beautiful and live and happy and optimistic and joyful and innocent, so she remained and as beautiful and innocent as a seven year old. All the way through Sarah's life, even when she gets here, right? That's why years is repeated here. All of them, in every age, in every era of her life, it was the same that she remained that innocent and that joyful and that present and all the things we can imagine being at 20 and at seven, even with all of the things she suffered. And for the rabbis, this is a teaching. This is a very important teaching, is that we're supposed to be like Sarah. We're supposed to try to figure out how to find the good in everything. And we're supposed to try to figure out how it is we can stay soft and present and innocent and beautiful and all that stuff, no matter what life brings us. And that that is the core, central, spiritual challenge. And she is the matriarch. She is the paradigm uh, of that um, way of
5: being in life and that way of being in the world. Is there any... any commentary on the fact that maybe Abraham and neither Abraham nor Isaac ever went back to Sarah and I she was know. left alone I don't know. because there's a whole the story yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard one. I've, I've only heard
1: I've only heard they don't go back to her because she died she's dead you know she finds out and she's dead but I, I've never heard one that that they didn't go back to her that they left her
0: a question about Reuben's comment that we sort of read it that there was perhaps a span of time the the breaking of the Torah up into parsha came much later mm-hmm. yes not, and it was rabbinic and so the for them they, there's no chapter break here. so it, actually if you read it I mean it, it, there is no break here
1: Right. There's no there's no well, the, the division between one parsha uh, and the next. Um,
0: okay. Well, but it really. Wasn't
1: there. Right. I mean, to support Reuben's reading, it says sometime later Abraham was told. Right. Blah 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 blah. Um, so it is, of course, sometime yeah, later right. that then we get that Sarah's lifetime had been. Um, but because it says they were, her her years were, we don't know how long ago this death happened. It doesn't say, she, and she dropped dead on the spot. She could have, she could have died when she heard about the akedah, right? And now we're just being told about it. Her years were. We not say when she died. So you know, both are both are there, and you can but fetch it, it, it both ways. It was the next sentence. It was right.
0: The break got added later. Yes,
1: absolutely. And to Bert, to, to mm-hmm. your point, I've never heard a midrash that says they didn't go back to Sarah. They left her. There, but the reality is Isaac leaves. After this, Isaac moves away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I- Isaac moves away, and like he's done. Linda, Just
2: for a clue to the fact that he
5: might, Abraham might have come back was reading the and reading the JPS um, After she died, he goes to the
1: Hittites and says, "I'm the resident alien among you. So me to me, meaning perhaps he'd been there for a while." Oh, for sure. Right, but I think Bert thought she might be have bought a condo. He mm-hmm. might have bought a condo mm-hmm. in the next <laughs> the next neighborhood
5: over. If he didn't want to go back, just happened, honey.
1: Could you imagine that conversation when yeah, he does come home? And she said, "By the way, where's Isaac?"
5: Abraham rose from beside his <laughs> It's like, is there a part that says that Sarah knew
1: what
4: happened?
1: No. No. It's rabbinic. The, the rabbis read. Why is her death? told to us right here, right after the Akedah, that's an invitation to say maybe, Mm -hmm. right? For the rabbis, maybe, and that's where they go, is maybe an angel came and told her what was happening. And that's why she did
0: it. There's also the fact that just... Right after the Akedah and right before Sarah dies, the birth of Rebecca is, is mentioned.
5: Oh, sure. we got to have
1: that. R-
0: well, right. and then, I mean, because there's also rabbinic tradition that that you don't have the righteous of one generation dying off before a successor is...
1: So Rivka has to be born before Sarah so, dies because right. she's going to be the new Sarah. Right. The. There's another commentary here about... 127 years. Yeah. And that is that 120
5: is the ideal. And, and Sarah lives
1: seven years past the ideal.
5: Beautiful. And seven is a magic number.
1: Of course. We know that. Yes, right with it. We, we know seven the powerful <laughs> magic number.
3: I was thinking about what you were saying about the rabbi who lost his son in a pogrom and that Jews have been sacrificing their children unwittingly, not intentionally, since the beginning. Abraham got to keep his son. You know, and uh, I just
1: thought... It's interesting you bring that up because the medieval tradition, there's really painful... I can't even read it. It's gorgeous. It's so painful. I can't even read it. The medieval commentators say, Abraham got to keep his son. We didn't. Our children's blood is running in the streets. Our children's blood stains the pavement crimson. He kept his son. You said no then. Where were you? Right. Unblo- Who's Avraham? Pshon Avraham. His son lived. We, we are the ones who are sacrificing. Isn't it so awful
4: awesome that when it comes to our own personal faith, we need to become Abraham, which is the, you know, since we are father and mother, our own children. Yet, when it comes to faith in God, we have to keep that innocent type of a surrendering, you know, when we believe in God, You need to have that kind of a, not childish, but the, uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is that when you have to faith in something, you have to give up, and you have to become like a child. You faithful like a child. You, you have to at have least see that part of it, and yet you still have to have that uh, mature type of.
1: You have to move past the cynicism of the pain that the pain of being an adult can cause. Right? That mm-hmm. by the time you're an adult, there's so much accumulated pain <clears throat> and disappointment. And sorrow, and loss, and betrayal—that what happens is we tend to, as we get older, harden. Right? This is this is the the core of Jewish spiritual teaching: is we tend to harden, we tend to put a fence, you know, a wall around the heart, and that's and then we're cynical, and that that is what keeps us from the very thing that will heal us. And so it is a return to that place of yes of you know of, of the earlier part of our experience, it was open and it was open to God, was open to the divine in all things, that understood the mystical and the magical and the awesome in all things, right that we we lose that as we become adults, which is part of what the rabbis are doing with this with a hundred and twenty a hundred plus twenty plus seven is is that Sarah somehow was so good a spiritual practitioner that she was able to stay like seven even even at a hundred but yeah I think it's
5: exactly
4: mm-hmm.
1: That. Mm-hmm.
5: Mickey? it could be also she was renegotiating at a hundred years old, mm-hmm. and she was given a hundred years renegotiating another twenty because remember she uh, she was getting a son after all those years and the uh, um, the love of having a son. Uh, why die? At another twenty years. Another seven years. Lovely. So at a
1: hundred, she had some things happen that were pretty momentous, and we older parents know something about the ways we are now invested in life and in the future and all those things that didn't happen before we had children right we just felt like we were getting older and getting old now there's a, a renewed youth and vigor and desire to live right an engagement with life that happens after she has Isaac beautiful linda was
2: Isaac, seven.
1: when
0: I don't
3: no, Isaac. I mean, he uh, was 37. Was Thirty-seven was the uh, Akedah.
1: So, wow. you shouldn't be so ready to say how old he was at the Akedah because you think there's one rabbinic tradition about how old Isaac was at the Akedah? God forbid. God forbid, right? There's all kinds of readings and calculations and doings of all of this that he's 15 that he's old enough to carry the wood, but he's not so old that he's going to resist his father. There's some that say he's 37, so he he agreed to the whole thing. There's some that say he's 7, so he doesn't have any idea what's going on, right? So it's it's a little...
2: You know, also, so much of this discussion assumes in biblical times people thought and, and analyzed the way we do now. I think that's assuming a lot. In what way? Because we've all had the benefit of so much... Um, Pop psychology, just so much. They didn't have it then. They probably thought very differently in many ways. So it was okay to sacrifice your son, and Sarah would have been fine with that? um, You know, how could Sarah go live with her husband after he almost killed his son? You know, maybe in those days, women, they never questioned their husband. They just went.
1: So let's say that's true. Let's say that women didn't question their husbands in an absolute patriarchy. He's just almost sacrificed her only child, she has no choice, she doesn't question because she has no alternative in that society, okay, do you want to talk to me about her inner life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's well, she what didn't th- have an
2: inner life, oh no. Human crazy. beings have
1: always had an inner life, right? So that, I think That's that-
2: so different their
1: Human beings have never been, human beings have never, I don't believe, been people who, if their son was brought to an altar by their partner and and almost offered, there is no woman on this planet who would not have suffered extraordinarily, none. You look at, and I'm being very serious, I'm not being sarcastic, you look at videos that they're doing now of animals, Mm -hmm. it is very clear that animals have emotional lives and that they know when they're young, you know, when something's, elephants, right? You know, mourn the death of one of their own. If that's happening in the, the animal kingdom, I can't, have a lot of shows I know, so that. I can't imagine a time when human beings, this story is mythic. It's about myth, which is about what's always been true, what's true now, what's always going to be true, what levels at which we talk about it, what what we draw from that. All of that, is, of course, is going to change by generation, by what we're exposed to in science and culture and all of those things. The thing that makes Torah powerful for all time is that it's mythic. It talks about eternal human truths.
3: For me, we know something about Sarah's life that she went to bat for Isaac, and she wanted him to be the one to, you know, and got rid of Ishmael. I mean, we know that she was going to bat for her son, you know. So she she did have a, an inner life. She did have she was able to express her will to her husband. So, I mean, she wasn't just a blank character. We actually do know something about her, her life. And they were considered co equals <throat> in
5: this journey, mm-hmm. she had to she had to express what she was feeling and, you know, her reasons for following
3: mm-hmm. All right, so... so I just wanted to say, the first time I ever heard about this 120-year business was my mother-in-law, who would say... Uh, I may
4: have asked her... But mm-hmm. I may have asked you years Right I never
1: Why knew where that came
2: you
4: know, from but... she <laughs> So she said <laughs> it in Yiddish
1: Right She said in Yiddish Right You should live to 127, uh, 120 Right
4: Right How do you say it in Yiddish, Margot?
3: In
1: Yiddish, Our expert resident Yiddishist right has just said it so beautifully. One more time, Sarah. So, 11 is You should live to 120. Amen. Kenny on? All right. So, so we get that she's in Kiryat Arba. Now Chevron this is where we're going to have the side of this so keep Chevron in your mind right in Canaan we're not going to go through this whole thing because we've spent a really long time on what I said we were not going to talk about um, so I don't want to go through all the intricacies of the deal that's here which is actually very elegant and lovely and interesting um, so Avraham rises from his dead so we are clear that even here there's ritual around sitting and being in the presence right of the one who has died this idea of Sitting, right? This idea of being low, right? He rises from beside the dead. Some read into this that we've been sitting for a long time as our mode of expressing grief when someone dies. We sit by them, right? Um, And spoke to the Hittites. There's lots of discussion about who these folks are, the Hittites, what they're doing here, what his relationship to them is, but we're not going to go there. Um, He says, I am a... Gerd Toshav, right? A Gerd Toshav. I am a resident alien or a, um, an alien and a resident. Here, here it uh, says foreigner. Okay. An alien who became a resident. <laughs> so he's, he's a foreigner. He's an alien who became a resident. He's there. Um, and he says, "May I need a burial site, right? Sell me a burial site that I may remove my dead for burial. So we go through a very intricate discussion which if you look at is is interesting about negotiations and how you do that carefully it's very clear that avraham wants to buy this burial site it's offered by the folk here he does it in front of the, all the people he does it in the gate so it has to be public he wants to buy it and he's told take it as a gift it's a gift you don't you don't need to right to buy it and he says in verse 9 let, let him sell me the cave of Machpelah that he owns which is at the edge of his land let him sell it to me at the full price for a burial site in your midst right for full um in Hebrew it's full silver for the full silver price um and Ephron, the guy who owns it, answers him in front of everybody. So now it's public, which means it's official. And he says, um, or it might be this is an official body that represents, you know, the, the Hittite authorities. He says, no, you know what? I give you the field and I give you the cave, verse 11, that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. So he's need, he needs a permission municipal permission to bury. He's given that permission right here. Take it. You can take the field, take the cave, you can bury your dead. He's given municipal permission, but Abraham's not going to stop there. Abraham bows low before the people of the land. Right? So he's being very respectful. He is being very elegant. He is not obsequious. He says... If you would only hear me out, this seems to be a legal phrase from the ancient Near East, meaning you know he's going to give a kind of testimony or a request of the court. Let me pay the price of the land. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron replies in this very interesting way: um, "My Lord, hear me." What is a piece of land that's worth 400 shekels of silver between us?
4: <laughs>
1: right? So, staying, vi- you know, what, what is that between us? Go, bury your dead. So, what Ephron's just done is without insulting Abraham,
2: set the price.
1: without opening a bargaining conversation, Ephron has just set the price. <laughs>
2: but but wasn't this
0: a standard way of you know, polite negotiation at that time?
1: Particularly for Avraham, who was a resident alien, because you couldn't own land. Um, in the and this is an important point that you bring up. In the ancient, which explains a lot about today's situation. In the ancient Near East, and it continued in the cultures of the ancient Near East, as today what we would call the Middle East, land is more than where you live. Land is everything. Land is about posterity. Avraham's purchasing of this cave is not just to have a place to bury Sarah. It's to have a place.
2: A stake in Canaan.
1: A stake in Canaan.
2: <clears throat>
1: this purchase means he trusts that there will be progeny for Isaac. And it is his responsibility as the patriarch to be sure that There's something for Isaac. We know Abraham is a very wealthy man, but it's not enough to leave portable wealth. If you really want to take care of your posterity in the ancient Near East, you have to give them land, place. Once you do that, it's permanent. Abraham does it publicly. He wants to pay the full price not rent it, not loan it, not a gift, all of which can be challenged later. Avraham is doing more than buying something here, right? He's, he's becoming something different than a resident alien in certain ways. He now owns, he, it's his for posterity, this piece of Knaan, And the reason it has to be so public and so official and so whatever is because the Hittites are loath to give it up. When you have land in this culture, in this mindset, you don't want to sell it. You're really not allowed to, right? You know, the, the whole idea that you shouldn't, because that's gonna water down somehow the the ties between people of that ethnic group and it's gonna weaken the society if you start selling in perpetuity land to some to an alien and their offspring. In perpetuity so that that reluctance of them to sell to Avraham his insistence that he have something that, that they don't want to give him in order to give it to his posterity this is what we're still dealing with in the Middle East and anyone who does not understand that does not understand the first thing about the conflict why can't they just give land don't give land blah blah right Why can't they just live over there in this other place? And why can't they give this for that? And that is crazy talk over there. That is American Western thinking. And it's in some ways, you know, know, I have a background in cultural anthropology. It's insulting to the culture of the Middle East to say, why can't they just move and build a city over there? Why can't those people just go over there and then swap that for that? It's insulting to say, what's the problem? <laughs> right? Like why can't why? Because for thousands of years, people traced their identity to the land that was their ancestors' land. We Jews get it. Why are we bothering with Israel? Why do we care? Why don't we we're in New Jersey? Where who cares about this? Tiny little country in the Middle East that's in such a bad neighborhood. Why why care? Because we get it on some level, right? But but sometimes we don't have the ability to see how other folks in the region have the exact same strong, intense relationship to an identity that is rooted in that land. It's the same land. And so that's the problem. Why not over there? Why can't they just because Because there's that same ancestral clan relationship to that territory that's being disputed. It's this old. And it's this powerful. That it's still going on how many thousands of years after this text is written. I'm not saying that to, to, to say anything about any sides. I'm saying... We do the whole situation a disservice if we don't understand the power of the relationship of peoples to their land, particularly in this the in the region. Occupied territory. I'm sorry? The in the occupied Aha, yeah, thank you. Much, thank you. Because so, yeah. I said to Robert that, that he was reminding me of something that now, Reuben, you're exactly right. So, so he buys this burial plot. Sarah is the matriarch. Avraham is going to be buried there. Isaac is going to be buried there. Rebecca will be buried there. Leah will be buried there. Who won't be? Rachel. Rachel dies on
5: the,
1: road. on the side of the road, giving birth to Benjamin. So, but all of the other patriarchs and matriarchs are buried in that land. There is every reason to believe, therefore, that Hebron was a shrine, even predating Israelite society, that that, that was a shrine of the founding, right? Kind of matriarch patriarch that might have had semi divine status at some point you know who knows but it's it's a very old tradition likely that Chevron that that place um, was a very holy place venerated by the folk in the neighborhood as where their mythic uh, ancestry was which is which is fascinating to me that it remains right a place of great contention because. Jews still have an understanding of the power of that site, um, as do you know. There's there's different versions, obviously, in the neighborhood of what Hebron's about. Um, but but three thousand years later, we're still you know we have we have soldiers stationed around stuff at Hebron, so that right because it's it's that big an issue still. Did I see a hand, Diane? What I'm trying to say here
4: is that even. And as you know, we sold the farm, every time I go back east to see my family, we all go and visit the place that we live. Mm. To this day, right? And I go there and I tear up because this is my view. This is this is a place where, and all of us are relating to it. And sometimes we go by the river and we picnic there. For some reason or other, we are so attracted. it's been
1: a long time; it's been so over fifty years. And for, in Hatikva, we say, Shnot al Paim, for 2,000 years, we've been thinking about that farm. For 2,000 years, three times a day, we remember that farm that your family sold how long ago? Right? That, even my, my,
4: my husband, when he goes back to Monday, he wants to go back to the house where he was born, when he went to school, when his grandparents etc. We are very attached to
1: to the or to the mm-hmm. is it more like 3,000 or yeah, more than much? that? No, Schnot sh- alpine, 2,000 years refers to since the destruction. Okay. By the Romans in 70. So we're not talking about it. This, yeah, this is 3,000. When Four. I said Tatikva, was about, it's been 2,000 years since since the land was taken. Yesterday,
3: Jews went to that cave of Macharach to.
1: Right, it's so incredible
2: It's incredible
1: So this is a piece that I've had for years By someone named Nina Woke um, Bearing witness to the impossibly distant You have to remember that he's buying this cave For a son Who's unmarried Right Right so he has no grandchildren. And he's buying this cave, trusting that there's going to be posterity to worry about giving land to. All right, so let's look at the very bottom paragraph of your sheet that I just gave you. She, she starts talking about Israelis and Palestinians and um, you know the hope for peace, but it doesn't look likely, you know, all that stuff. And this is a long time ago because it really doesn't change, unfortunately. We can pick it up anytime. But let's look at the bottom paragraph where it says... It wasn't within Abraham's power to hurry those descendants into the world or to give them land. It was within his power to make sure that whenever they came, they would find an inheritance from him, a pilgrimage site calling their attention to the land to which Abraham has devoted his life's effort. Many centuries later, in the month of Tishrei 5761, with Israelis and Palestinians once again becoming enemies, news stories grimly reported the silence of the peace movement. Let's drop down. Uh, And she talks about, um, she's talking about uh, Arab and Jewish women coming together uh, to at least speak out against war and and have that uh, spoken out loud. This letter broke the silence. It didn't end the war. But, like the conference that took place within weeks to unite the Israeli-Palestinian peace movement, it bore witness that some contemporary people could, like Abraham, imagine a different future. Impossibly distant, but not impossible. This is the chut avot, the merit of our ancestors. Their faith in a vastly different world to come, which let them take even small steps towards it. This is the merit of the generation who were freed from Egypt. When they were still slaves in a land reeling from sickness, famine, and darkness, they acted in unison on what is still called the great Shabbat to prepare for the night of the Exodus. This is the merit of Jeremiah who when in prison for treason during wartime, insisted on buying back legally and in front of witnesses a piece of land that had been sold out of his family. In a country about to be conquered by the Babylonian military machine with every expectation of being killed or deported, he bore witness to an eventual return and restoration. This is the merit of the fighters in the European ghettos of the Holocaust, who with no hope of winning, bore witness that it should be possible to fight ultimate evil and win. This is the merit of all who now, accepting the horrible reality of war, knowing the goal of mutual trust and sharing to be more tragically elusive than ever, still ultimately plan for peace. Our ancestors knew that the future will be different from the present as the present differs from the past. Although their unaided efforts could not bring about the future of their dreams, their merit was to treat those dreams as eventual goals, leaving signs and guides for those yet to come. It has been the merit of our ancestors to treat despair, even when apparently necessi- necessitated by events, as a luxury our people can never afford. May it be our merit as well. Uh, is related to Herman Wood? But I think um, for me, the closing message is with very little evidence that there would be a people with very little, little evidence that there was a future there in Kanaan, even though he's dedicated his whole life right to well, the later part of his life um, to that mission. Avraham takes the first step in acting as if. And that I think for me, that is the constant challenge. It is easy for us to see the news and say, you know what, it's too big. It's a mess and there's nothing we can do. It's learned helplessness. It's the way we throw up our hands and say, so I don't have to do anything because I can't solve world hunger and I can't make world peace happen. And I think the teaching for, from, for both Avraham and Sarah were that they took the steps that they could acting as if. And that is the reason we are sitting here around this table in this chapel 3000 years later still Kehilat Israel the holy community of the people of Israel.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehilat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website www.ourki.org.